Hi, this is author and business advisor Carl Yacoub, and you're listening to the Million Dollar Mind Podcast. Everybody needs to create value in some way in order to thrive, and active value investors are no different. You see, in order to enhance the valuation of the businesses they acquire, active investors adopted tried and tested approach for value creation. My name is Carl Yacoub, and I'm a value creation advisor. Catch me on the Million Dollar Mind podcast to learn more about value creation strategies you can adopt to enhance the valuation of your business. What's going on, millionaires? You're listening to the Million Dollar Mind podcast, episode 189 on the art of creating value. Today, we have an amazing guest in the building. We have Carl Yacoub. And am I saying that name, your last name right, Carl? Absolutely. You're doing a great awesome. job. Awesome. 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 Super excited to have you in the building, Carl. Carl is an investment banker and a private equity specialist as well. And he's also a chartered financial analysis. So you guys know, listening to the Million Dollar Mind podcast, we talk a lot about investments. We talk a lot about real estate. We talk about a lot about money management. So I feel like it was necessary to get Carl in the building just to talk to us a little bit more about not only, you know, just understanding, you know, um, how to, you know, financially and responsibly invest our money into these different avenues, but also how we can create value with these different investments and how to see value before, you know, making these investments as well. Uh, Carl is also the creator of the Game of Value Creation uh, digital training, which is now also a book. So I'm super excited to talk to you more about that, Carl. But before we get into today's content, I'm going to pass the mic off for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about you and most importantly, what they can expect from today's conversation. Absolutely. So happy to be here, Kwai. Thank you for that generous introduction. And just like you accurately mentioned on my background, I'm an investment banker, formerly in a private equity dude. And on my journey of over 10 years, where I led deals and assignments in many places around the world, including Dubai, where I used to live, China, Singapore, London, as well as many other places. I've realized that the way the private equity guys and the very big corporations approach value creation is very different from what the average Joe is exposed to, not to any fault of their own. It's just that they have access to resources and framework that is almost reserved for the top 1% of the 1%. And the reason I started the business I started today and the reason I wrote the book and created that training is to hopefully democratize this access and to make mm. it available to everybody. Because when you think about how you approach creating value in anything, it often is wise to start with an end in mind. You know, you hear everybody telling you, you've got to think big. You got to have big goals. You got to have big dreams. But thinking big and having big goals and big dreams is very hard when you do not have the right details to think about. Mm -hmm. And so when you are able to define very clearly what that end in mind is, let's say you're a young entrepreneur today, or you're a business operator or an owner, and you're dreaming of listing your business one day on the stock exchange. If you know what are the criteria you need to meet on your journey, what you're then able to do is reverse engineer from that ending position back into the present and have a clearly defined set of metrics and milestones that you and your team can adopt and hopefully execute. 
So the journey becomes easier that way. It definitely becomes a lot easier. And I like that you mentioned having the end in mind too, Carl, and having uh, at least an idea of the details that it takes, because as you may know, and as our millionaires have heard before, you know, these big goals that we come up with, those aren't what separate us from everybody else. Many of us have the same big audacious goals of whether it's, you know, retiring our parents or time freedom or generational wealth, whatever that means to the individual. These are these big audacious goals. And it's similar to NBA teams, hockey teams, whatever type of sports team having the same goal of winning a championship. Everybody has the same goal, but there's only one winner, right? So I love that you brought up having, you know, the end in mind and really sitting down and finding out the details that makes that end goal much more obtainable. So I'm super excited to break all these things down with you, Carl, and um, welcome again to the Million Dollar Mind podcast. To our listeners that are tuning in for the first time and to our vets, welcome back to the Million Dollar Mind podcast. This is the number one community for self-mastery and abundance by having million dollar conversations with really dope people like the one we're about to have with Carl, you're in the right place if you're here looking for money making tips and tricks for living a more passionate life. So, All right, what's up, millionaire? So I know I shared this once, maybe even twice, but here's the third time. So I'm really starting to lose faith in business cards. And the reason why is because every time I get about 500 business cards, I use about 100, 150 and my business has changed whether the website has changed or just things are just changing, especially when you're a new entrepreneur. And, you know, I've been in entrepreneurship just under five years. So, you know, things are still changing. You're optimizing, you're getting new websites, getting new Instagram accounts, and your business card really expires. So what I learned and what I love now is Popple, right? I have a Popple card right here in my pocket. And what I love about it is it's a physical card that I can put my logo on, even has a QR code that I can scan or hold up to somebody's phone. And they have a virtual business card where I can update my information as much as I need to. I can share as much information as I want to from my phone number, social media pages, the whole nine. And I can also disable sharing that information if I want to as well. I definitely want you guys to consider Popple because as your business is changing, why spend so much money on these paper business cards when most of the times people throw them away and it's expired because you changed your business. So there's also going to be a link at the bottom of this video for you to download Popple, get your business card, or if I hold it up close enough, you might be able to scan that QR code. So Carl, you mentioned a little bit about um, what it means to create value and some of the things that you want to think about or figure out uh, in order to be able to sell your business or, you know, achieve some of these goals. But what does it mean in layman's term to create value? And then the second part of that question is, are some of the methods that you've learned with creating value uh, for your clients in the uh, investment banking space, are they the same as the methods people can use to just make themselves more valuable as people and as business owners, as friends, et cetera? Absolutely. So the, the definition of creating value is a very subjective definition, and it really depends mm -hmm. on who you ask. For many of us, creating value can be quantified in monetary terms. Value is X dollars. For a lot of other people, value is defined as an intangible thing, such as freedom or time, or even leaving a lasting legacy. For a lot of people, legacy is a very big driver and a very big motivation. For also for a lot of people, it's a combination of both. 
Because if you are able to reach a point where you don't have to worry about resources, you get time, but you also have the money to go with it. Mm -hmm. But the way you approach it really depends on what stage in your life you are. And, and, and that, is, that, is the, that is the trick here, because when we say creating value, we are essentially giving form to something that did not exist prior to us coming into the picture. And for human beings to create something is honestly one of the most divine acts you can commit to. Mm -hmm. You know, when we talk about creativity or creation, these words go together. Not many people realize that, that you want to create art. You want to create a good conversation. You want to create value. You want to offer people something that serves a certain purpose. It's a very interesting experience. And the only way you could go about that is to be in total harmony with who you are as a human being. You need to have body, mind, and soul at one with your mission. You cannot go you know, on the fence and expect great results. It's not an approach that can be done without proper execution, without the right team, and without the right vision. However, it is an approach that does not necessarily require your existing capabilities. So what do I mean by that? So one hack that a lot of big companies utilize to grow is to acquire other businesses. But the way they go about acquiring a business is through money they do not have today. So what they end up doing is they take a loan, put that loan on the company they are acquiring, and use the cash flows of that acquired company to pay for that loan. And what mm-hmm. happens in the process is they can double in size, or at least they could grow at a much faster pace than if they had to do all these changes on their own with their capabilities that they have today. So going back to your question, it's really dependent on your starting position today, your capabilities today, the capabilities you do not have at your disposal, but you can get access to and your ending point that you want. And then all you have to figure out is how to bridge that gap. Mm. That's a that's a great answer. And I love that you mentioned just the relationship between mind, body and soul um, with, you know, being able to see how you can create value in general. I think to start off with value creation um, as an individual to others, to businesses, to employers, you have to first identify with who with who you are, you know, what your non-negotiables are, what make you happy, what make you unhappy um, so that you know who to surround yourself with and who not to surround yourself with. So I think that's a great answer. And it it really does help on the business aspect of things as well. Uh, And I love how you put it as thinking about value creation as something that did not exist before you were in the picture, right? Looking at a person or a business and thinking like, what problems do they have that I could help eliminate based on the person that I already am? And that's what that's what I got from, you know, you answering that those two questions, which I love and I think is really tapped in with, you know, the conversations we've had in the past and really kind of doubled down on uh, doubles down on that. Um, Switching gears a little bit, Carl, as you know, talking about your um, your position as an investment banker, are you more so finding the investments uh, for clients, or are you now like facilitating the transactions? Uh, and your role, what are, what is more so your responsibilities as an investment banker? So when I used to be a banker in the past, it was 
a money-driven gig for me. Mm. And I think that's the reason why every 20-something-year-old wants to do banking. It's not because they've been passionate about this space or they've grown up watching it on TV and they've played the game. <laughs> not at all. It's because they see it as a means to an end. And the thing is, I've done it for 10 years and I it was it was a journey that was full of struggles if i were to be completely honest with you it's not an easy journey because it's it does not always have to be the most exciting gigs you're working on mm-hmm. you're always on standby on weekends you're working late at night it, you you keep questioning if this is what you want to do for the rest of your life but the skills that you gain in the process and the grind is very valuable so because i wanted to leverage a skill set that i already had while making life a little bit more pleasant for people around me, because for me, that's the realization I came to. The only way I can find more meaning in what I'm doing is to give meaning to whoever I'm doing business with or even dealing with in real life. And so what I do now is I help businesses tap into locked value by using the same strategies and tactics that the world's you know most valuable public companies and private equity investors utilize in order to create value in their business. Wow, that, that's good. And I'm sure you learned a lot just with the 10 years of experience that you've, uh, you've gained. What was like one thing, you know, stepping into that space to now that changed your perspective on money or what's something that you learned about money that you feel like you wouldn't have necessarily learned if you hadn't stepped into that space? Is that if you read, that's a really good question. And I think if I want to be completely transparent with you, it would be that the hardest part about making money grow is not about making it. It's about protecting it. Mm. Because the second you start having money coming in, you're going to be faced with a ton of options for investment. Everybody's going to be knocking on your door. Everybody's going to be pitching for you. And you've really got to figure out how to isolate the bad deals from the good deals. And unfortunately, there's no easy way to go about it. You're going to hit your head. You're going to make a ton of mistakes. And then you're going to lose in the process. And after you lose, you're going to grieve because losing money, you're hard, you're hard, hard, losing hard, <laughs> losing money that you've worked really hard for is a grieving process. And there's no escaping it. But the good thing about it is that you always overcome it. And the next time you are presented with a similar opportunity, you're going to look at it with a different frame in mind. Mm. And the other idea is that the really affluent have a totally different access to resources that are not available to us, to the majority of us. Mm -hmm. And the way they approach governance and the way they approach structuring of funds and where they deposit their money and where where they invest their money and the asset classes that they choose is very, very sophisticated. So for example, let's say I want to invest, let's say there's a business that I want to buy and, and you are the operator of that business and you're keen to sell and exit and cash out and, and, and move on with your life and get that freedom you're seeking. One of my biggest concerns is the outlook of that business. And if the business that I'm buying from you, if your business today is overly reliant on you as a star player, as a founder, it's your baby, guess what I'm going to end up with after you leave? And so when these sophisticated investors invest in companies like these, 
what they really focus on is, is something called corporate governance. And corporate governance is all about protecting a business, its resources, and its future outlook. And the way they go about it is by reducing that key person risk dependency. So they end up introducing policies, procedures, processes, systems. They do organization structures. They do authority matrices. Everything that could possibly be done to limit that dependency on key people. And so the idea of making money is on everybody's mind, and that's great. But a totally different skill set comes into the picture once you start thinking about how to protect that money and how to preserve wealth and how to keep it in the bloodline or in the family for generation after generation. And this is a totally different skill set that I think a lot of people do not realize when they get in the game of making money. Especially when you when you get the money that you're not used to having. And uh, I've made, you know, these types of mistakes or I've been obsessed in this pattern before as well of when you start to make it, make a little bit of money for your business, you want to, you're, you're quick to invest that money back into the business and sometimes investing it into the wrong systems, wrong people, wrong businesses, so forth and so on. So that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, from your experience, do you see a lot of um, businesses or any uh, of your equity partners, do they purchase, is this a thing where they purchase ideas? Um, and what I mean by that is, let's say you have a business that has, you know, all the things as far as in the foundation and the structure of uh, operating business, but may not have necessarily the cash flow. Is that a thing where people may purchase the potential of a business or is that cash flow really the main, the number one thing that they look at before acquiring a business? That's a very good question. And the answer to that is it really depends on the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. If you've got a financial investor who's primarily driven by making a return on investment, they're going to be looking at cash flows, especially if they want dividends. You see, for a company to be able to, or for a investment to pay out dividends, it needs to be generating a certain level of profitability, it needs to have adequate cash reserves. If on the other hand, you're looking at a startup from the perspective of a venture capital investor who likes the idea, believes in the management team, the management team might have a track record or a success in another venture. So it's really just replicating a framework they're already familiar with they might invest in it, but the valuation is going to be a totally different conversation because you can't just buy ideas. It really is all about execution. And so if you notice in startup funding rounds, series A or the first funding round is always the lowest valuation, assuming the business does well. So let's say the business is on an upward trajectory. Series A is going to be the lowest valuation. The second you show some positive momentum, some growth, some good healthy trajectory, Series B is going to be a much higher valuation because you already have proof of concept, you already have traction, you already have momentum, and that commands a higher valuation. Mm. Mm. Very, very interesting. And I'm assuming Series A, or mm -hmm. Series yeah. A would be where the there is cash flow. It has you know profit and loss statements, all of the all of the above that demands a higher, uh, even a higher uh, valuation. Series A would be following the, the seed round or the round from family and friends. And so, yes, they would have all these financial statements, but they would not look great. 
Mm. By that, I mean you would have pre-operating expenses. You would have losses reported. And losses could stay in businesses for a very long time. And a key idea here is that a business could be reporting a loss, but still be in business. But the second a business runs out of cash, it's over. Mm. Mm. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So what is what is active investing? Is that what we're kind of talking about? If not, what exactly is active investing and how is it different from our traditional understanding of what investing is? That's a great question. So everybody's familiar with passive investing, buying stocks on an exchange in the stock market. Today, you'd go to Schwab, you'd buy Amazon stock, you'd buy Facebook stock, you'd buy Google stock. That's passive investing because you don't really have a say in how the company's being run. Mm-hmm. You don't really have a say in whether Facebook could make this acquisition or the other acquisition. You're just sitting in the passenger seat. You're sitting in the passenger seat and you're getting disclosures that are timely in nature. So for example, when Facebook wants to disclose its annual results, it'll disclose its annual results and everybody gets access to that. With active investing, the game changes because you sit in the driver's seat in certain instances. You have a say in certain ways of doing things. You have a board seat. You approve acquisition. You approved settlements and litigation. You sometimes have to approve which CEO or CFO to hire. And so the game changes dramatically because you feel that if you have the right skill set as an investor, you are able to monetize that skill set by taking a driver's seat in the investment that you make. And in return for that, the return that you generate is far superior than the return you make from just being a passive investor and waiting for the share value to go up or for you to get some dividends from your investment. Mm, okay. So, no, no, that's great. Um, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I would love for you to finish that thought. No, and, and so control is really a big thing for, for investors in general. Like you want to know where your money went. You want to know how your money's being spent. And if you can keep close track of how things are done, it's a good advantage. It's a good position to be in. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So active is more so, you know, if, if being in the driver's seat or if not the driver's seat, the passenger seat and being able to tell them, hey, get off at this exit uh, is the difference. So that sounds like, Carl, that you would need a lot more capital to be able to take on the active investing uh, side of things, unless you were, unless you took a huge part in uh the creation of the business itself. Um, is that true? Like, is it, can the average person, uh, the day-to-day person, the nine to fiver, can they partake in active investing? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's a great question as well. So active investing is not something that necessarily requires capital from you. If you have a certain skill set, if you have a certain idea that you have proof of concept for, if you are able to spot problems in businesses that other people might not be able to spot if you're really good at sales if you're really good at marketing there is no issue in getting capital in the u.s there is no shortage of people waving checkbooks for the right ideas and for the right setups what you then have to tune into the frequency that you then have to tune into is the deal maker frequency 
you've got to bring different components together and you've got to structure a deal that is win, win, win for all the parties involved. So yes, it is possible, even if you don't have capital. Because if you recall what I said earlier, the, even the biggest companies in the world, the way they approach active investing themselves is by taking funding from banks to buy companies they don't have so that they can have access to new products, new markets, new management teams, operational know-how, and then use the cash flows of the companies they are buying to service the debt that they use to acquire them. Mm, that's a very eloquent way of putting that. That that makes a lot of sense. So it's not necessarily a capital issue. It sounds like it's a value issue. <laughs> Again, so, going back to our, our conversation of, you know, just being able to identify um, where you can bring value to the equation and create sure. those win-win situations for others. So if I'm, let's say, for example, Carl, if I'm a salesperson um, and I identify a business that needs a little bit of help and I can see where it needs help. I could use my skills in sales and and see where I, you know, pretty much find a capital partner like a bank or a hard money investor and ask them to put in the funds. And then I would bring not only myself, but my capital partner to the table for that business that could use my help. Absolutely. And sometimes you don't even need a capital partner. Let's say you identify an opportunity in a business that you could bring a lot of value to. And let's say for hypothetical reasons that this business today is valued at $5 million, okay? And the reason that, that this valuation is $5 million today is because it's the multiple of the profits of the company. So let's say the company has a million dollars in profit and it's valued at five times the million dollars. So that's $5 million. If you as a salesperson are able to come into that company and bring the sales figure up from one to $1.5 million, what's going to happen to the valuation? It's going to go up by 50%. It's going to be $7.5 million. So that $2.5 million did not exist prior to you coming into the picture. And mm -hmm. so, and that is from the company's valuation. So what you could negotiate with the owner of the business is a structure whereby if you take the business from one to $1.5 million, hence taking its valuation from five to $7.5 million, you would be entitled to a portion of that extra value that you bring in. And the way that entitlement could be structured is through shares in the business. And so mm -hmm. it could be contingent on you performing and delivering that added value, which did not exist prior to you coming into the picture. So you may not even have to buy your way in. You can just you can literally just negotiate your way in um, to to an active investing seat. I mean, you'd be shocked at how many deals of this nature happen with the big corporations where deals just fall on people's desks and they end up just being done for the purpose of a saving jobs and b for tapping into that logged value. And it ends up being a win win situation where everybody's happy. Wow, that sounds that sounds amazing. And so now that you're not in the, you know, in the investment banking space, Carl, and, you know, writing a book and, and having this training, I'm assuming that you have now tapped into the coaching space where you teach people how to uh, tap into 
that value creation formula to where they are able to walk into corporations and businesses to do something similar to what we're talking about. Absolutely. That's one of the things I do at the moment. And the other thing that I do is practice what I preach. So I work with businesses and help them to tap into that hidden value they have in their operations and the way they manage and allocate their finances and the way they optimize and grow organically and inorganically and in the way they protect the business and protect the resources and the employees and more importantly, protect the future outlook. Mm, Okay. And that's the, I think that's the second or third time I heard you mention uh, hidden value. So I would love to have you elaborate on what hidden value is and how do you even identify that the value was hiding in the first place? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the, the advantage you have as an outsider who is not very consumed by the environment that you are operating in every day is you get a different perspective. You get mm-hmm. to see what is working and what's not working. And sometimes what is not working is something intangible. So for example, if there are problems with the way work flows in the organization, so if the levels of accountability and the way decisions are made are creating a lot of bottlenecks, and hence there's a lot of delays and missed opportunities, you could spot that. If your if you're business or if everybody's under the impression that they are incredibly busy and that they, they can't take on more projects, but when you really look at the efficiencies and you really understand what is driving capacity and utilization of capacity, and you see something that is not adding up, that's another opportunity that you could tap into. If you realize that you are selling certain products at a loss, but you have 100 SKUs and you have 100 different products and you're not able to identify your revenue breakdown and which product is contributing positively to your cash flows and which project, which product is incurring a loss when you sell it, well, that obviously you'd want to eliminate those products. If you have money stuck in inventory that you cannot sell, that's cash trapped in your business. So you need to liquidate that as soon as possible and reallocate that cash to product that could move faster in your business. That's I, well, I never thought about that. Having inventory of a product that can't sell, that's like having um, equity in your home that you can't access. Absolutely. Um, Okay. And so are there, if the product can't sell, are there, do you kind of like wholesale it to other companies? Like what what then allows you to turn that unsold inventory into cash? That's a great, that's a great question. Well, it really depends on, on a, the terms that you have with the suppliers and it depends on the sellability of the products themselves. Oftentimes what you end up doing is you liquidate. So you sell these products at a massive discount. And it's, it's the worst of two evils here because on one hand, you know this product's not going to sell, but you don't want to incur a loss at selling it. But on the other hand, if you sell it today at a discount, get that cash and reallocate that cash into better, faster moving products, that's going to help your cash flows. Wow. And we do this... Uh, like the average individual does this every single day too, with looking at a sports game, like a football game, and you see what the other team is doing wrong. And you're, you turn into a coach on the other side of that screen, but most people don't realize that 
if they were to just switch a certain gear in their mind and, and focus on other things as far as business, then they can take that same skill set and help a business and help an individual that's trying to get a business off the ground um, to a certain point. So what does what does your clients or some of your mentees or students, what do they typically look like? What is an average individual that has the best results with you uh, look like, Carl? That's a good question. So it cannot be somebody who's just getting started. It's got to be somebody who has some level of business proficiency, like somebody who knows a little bit, who can talk strategy, who can talk finance, who can talk tactics. And that's, and they need to be coachable. They need to be open-minded. They need to be able to tune into different frequencies because again, mindset is a key component of value creation. You, you've got to spot deals. It's like when you get a car, a red car of a certain model, and then you start seeing it everywhere. It's not that these cars are popping out of nowhere for no reason. It's because you're in that mindset where you start seeing something you are already familiar with or already in tune with. And so that's a very important trait to have. For the businesses, they cannot be startups. So if they do not have proof of concept, I cannot really help them. If a business has been operational for, say, more than five to 10 years, it's not a one-man show. It's had some track record of success. It's done well over a few years, but it's facing difficulties. Something is happening, whether it's within its control or not within its control. I could probably make a difference in it. And only because I'm an outsider, I'm an intruder. And that's a good thing and a bad thing, because the last thing you want is to bring an intruder into your operation and have an intruder tell you what's wrong with it. But there's also a blessing to it because having a different perspective always complements what you have already. And it oftentimes is the best way out of the pain points you are facing, of the frustration of, and it's not just the frustration of the people leading the businesses or the people who own the businesses. It's everybody, man. Like it's the employees are not engaged. They're frustrated. They feel they're not taken care of. They feel nobody cares for them. The culture is not great. The management feels like everything's on their shoulders. They've got to report to the board and their jobs on the line. The investors are disappointed because they bought into the vision and they bought into the dream but nothing's turning out the way it was supposed to be. And you've got the customers also who are disappointed because if your employees are not happy and if your employees are not taken care of, it's going to be reciprocated to everybody. And so this entire ecosystem becomes dysfunctional. Yeah, it's like a domino effect, especially at the the entry level with the employees. Uh, We see it all the time with, you know, poor customer service, you know, poor dining experiences all the time. It's a, it's a domino effect and it's a reflection of how they're being treated uh, and how the business is, is, is being ran. Um, how, how can our audience learn to create value organically? What would you say are like the first three steps um, as an individual listening to this and like, wow, I have sales experience. I, I like to call myself a little bit financially savvy um, I've, you know, sat on the boards or I'm very understanding of what it looks like to operate and own a business. Um, but I'm just not getting this concept of creating value, uh, organically. What would you say are some steps that uh, our audience could take to, you know, start to create that, that value? That's a really good question. I think education is the number one and probably the only thing 
you need to go about at this stage. And it's not just education in general, it's the right education. It's getting access mm-hmm. to the stuff that is not necessarily promoted all the time or the stuff that you're not exposed to all the time or the stuff that is not even forced on you in the education system all the time. I think education is the way to go about it because the education helps you expand your mind, which then helps you tune into that frequency that you need. And following the education element, you've got to surround yourself with like-minded individuals. Mm -hmm. You've got to compare notes. You've got to see what other people are doing. You've got to learn from them. You've got to work with them, maybe even for free sometimes, just so that you can get the hang of things and then go solo or then collaborate, then structure deals. But education has to be the number one step. Education, 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 because <laughs> it's not. And I like that you said it was the right education, because yeah. it reminds me of uh, the time that I started to realize that the saying knowledge is power really does a lot of people a disservice because you can know a lot. But if you're not applying the things, you know, like what you mentioned, like collaborating with people, exchanging notes, networking with people that know more than you. If you're not doing any of those things, there's no true power in just knowing a lot. You just kind of are a know-it-all. <laughs> but um, as you said, the right education, that makes a lot of sense of just applying yourself and being intentional on the books that you read, the people you surround yourself with, uh, the podcasts that you listen to, right? Absolutely. Um, so we talked about some organic ways, Carl. Would you say that there are inorganic ways to create value and if so is that even healthy for like the long term yeah absolutely so inorganic is essentially leveraging capabilities you don't necessarily have today and so if you don't have the funds if you don't have the know-how inorganic is the way to go you figure out what is the shortcut to get there so that you can overcome that limitation you have this is the simple definition of inorganic and so mm-hmm. when a company, let's say, let's say I'm a company in Chicago and I want to, I want to open up in Los Angeles, I could do it the greenfield way. I could set up everything from scratch. Then I'd have to divide my time between Chicago and Los Angeles, or I can merge with or partner with or combine forces or even acquire a business in Los Angeles and structure it in a way that is win-win for both of us overcome any limitation I might have, be it resources, be it funds, and create opportunity for both of us that is actually exciting. And if it works, great. If not, I mean, there's a saying, nothing ventured, nothing gained. But Mm. inorganic is essentially overcoming capability and resource limitations in order to get to where you want to go. Okay, that... Makes a lot of sense. I was just thinking, and I'm sure our listeners were probably thinking as well, hearing inorganic versus organic, it might have been the difference between a good way or the right way and the wrong way. (laughs) But as you beautifully put that, Carl, I'm just like, it makes total sense now because even when we talk about in the marketing space with traffic, like organic traffic, it means that you probably have to spend a lot of time you know, blasting it out to get that organic traffic. But if you don't have the time and you have some money, then you can pay for inorganic traffic with ads and things like that. So finding the shortcut, as you put it, which makes makes it make sense. Uh, So I appreciate you uh, answering that question so thoroughly. 
Um, this question is a little bit off topic, but I'm very uh, intrigued to kind of get your perspective from it, being that you were in the finance space. Um, what do you do more of? Do you save more than you invest or do you invest more than you save? That's a good question. What would you save money for? I like that question even better, that's, right? That's, that's an interesting conversation. Every, yeah, because what I see everybody doing is being smart with their savings. But then when I ask people, what do you want to use the money for? I get the lamest answers you can ever imagine. Retirement. I mean, who knows if you're going to be alive 40 years from now? Who knows mm-hmm. if you're going to still be around? Like, Or even if they don't want it for retirement, let's say this is settled. They have no idea what they want want it for. They're just addicted to saving money, not as a means to an end, but at but for the act of saving money. It gives them a psychological satisfaction that I think is wired into our brains as human beings that is totally irrational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And the the stem from that question, Carl, I was watching um uh, another conversation uh, from uh, Money Briefs, and uh, mm-hmm. they were talking about just uh, he was he was asking people on the street like, is a dollar today more valuable than a dollar tomorrow? And most people were saying a dollar tomorrow is more valuable than a dollar today. But as you know, you know, with you know these lump sums of PPP going up, inflation going up, you know, student loans now being forgiven, inflation is probably going to go up even more. The value of our dollar today is probably going to be nowhere near as valuable as the dollar a year from now or two years from now. So that was the that was the uh, inspiration to that question. And the the second part to it is, if you could, you know, give us some reasons why you you chose or choose every day to focus more on building an investment portfolio more than building a huge savings. Even if you know exactly what you would save for, right? Yeah. Um, Or have a huge savings for, whatever the reason is, why would you still choose, you know, divvying that money up into, you know, smaller or larger investments? I think for me personally, it's not about just the investment or the act of generating a return on money. It's the meaning and excitement that come with it. Mm. It has to be something of relevance and it has to be something exciting. And the reason I say that is from from trial and error, from past experiences. The only way I could be satisfied with my life is if I put my time, my energy, and my resources into channels that are in harmony with who I am as a human being. Everything else is going to mix up that equation. It's going to tip it off balance. And you could do that if you want to. But it's not going to, it's not, it's not going to make you feel happy. It's not going to make you feel excited. It's going to make you always looking forward to the next phase of your life. And we're talking about investment and a dollar today and a dollar tomorrow. For me, life today is more valuable than life tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What I do with my time today with my health today, with the people in my life today, is significantly more valuable than what I do at all tomorrow because nothing is guaranteed tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to follow a mirage. Yeah. And, and even with, you know, nothing being guaranteed tomorrow, like literally for, you know, life, it, it means the same with, you know, stacking up a huge savings. And I was looking at this formula because once upon a time I had um, uh, invested into sort of like a, um, a savings account to say the least, but it was also going to help me with my credit. And when I was starting to do the, run the numbers again, it, it was kind of like, why would I wait 10 years to accumulate, let's say $10,000 when the value of that $10,000 wouldn't even be the same 10 years from now. So immediately I'm just like, okay, this is the last month of me doing that because it just, it just doesn't make sense. Um, And again, like you said, who's even to say that 10 years from now, you know, life is even guaranteed, or I may be in a totally different country 10 years from now. And it it just, anything can happen. So I I really appreciate you putting that into perspective for our listeners, because uh, it just sounds like you should be saving with the intentions of investing it and investing doesn't necessarily mean stocks. It could mean just investing into yourself, into the things that make you happy. Um, but not necessarily what we talked about earlier, having the addiction to saving the obsession of saving just to say we have a huge savings. Um, so let's talk about your book, man. Cause you got a training, you, uh, you have the training the, that started off, you know, as like a digital course, it sounds like. Uh, and now that's kind of molding into the book. What motivated you to, despite having this online training, uh, to still write a book? Uh, is it very similar? Is it, is it still a lot different? Is it more of an updated version of the training? Tell us a little bit more about your motivations to writing uh, the game of value creation. Yeah, it's it's. I would say it's very similar in the sense that both the training and the book are called the game of value creation. Mm-hmm. The training is a little bit more immersive because you get videos where I walk you step by step through different ways of looking at things. You can download files, you could download models, you could see me tweaking everything and you could do the changes yourself and you could actually download the end product. And what what that helps a lot of people in business with is tweak these files based on their current circumstances so that they can transplant them into their business and hopefully unlock unlock value themselves without anybody being with them. And and the book is is more of an introduction to all these things. The book mm. is easier to access. You could get it off Barnes and Noble, you could get it off of Amazon. Everybody can, you know, we were talking about education earlier. The reason I was motivated to write it and by the way, it's it's if you've never written a book before, it's it's hard, man. Like it's 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 a lot of brain power. It's a lot of consistency. It's a, it's just a lot of energy. And you cannot justify it from an investment standpoint. So you cannot say that, you know, I'm going to write a book because it's going to make me a return on investment of a thousand X or 10 X or hundred X. But I did it because I believe it's the right thing to do. I believe it's a good use of my time. It's going to help a lot of people. It's going to expand the mind of a lot of people. And not because I wrote it. It's because I don't think anybody bothered to write about this stuff in that level of detail. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to do a lot of people a lot of good. And for me, going back to what we spoke about earlier on you know, philosophy and what your life's philosophy is, 
and I could tell that you're into that stuff too. It's uh, it's about making life a little bit easier for those around me or for anybody really, because selfishly, when I do that, when I approach any kind of interaction or relation with how can I give that person a little more or more than I'm expecting back, it becomes it becomes an interesting dynamic because that other person is going to pick up on it. And nobody can escape the laws of physics. You know, one of the laws, I mean, it's not necessarily physics. It's, 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 uh, it's a belief I have. It's reciprocity, mm. right? Like if, 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 you, if you do a favor to someone, they are more likely to do a favor to you when you need them. If you are helping someone today, you are more likely to be helped tomorrow. If I smile while walking down the street at, at my neighbor and say good morning, they're probably going to respond and say good morning back to me. And so... When you do that, when you help others, for me at least, the realization I've come to recently in the last few years after COVID and all that stuff is the only way to have a more pleasant life myself, selfishly, is to make life more pleasant for other people. Mm. And that's my way. That's one of the few ways I could do it. Yeah. Yeah, that was very, very well put, Carl. And I agree with you 1000%. Uh, it's definitely the law of reciprocity. And the beautiful thing about the law of reciprocity is, uh, and I would love your uh, feedback on this, is you start to learn that it's not necessarily about doing it to expect it from that person that you're doing the good to, the good deed to. Like if I'm smiling at my neighbor and my neighbor doesn't smile back at me, I'm not necessarily upset because I feel like I will. St- the law of reciprocity ensures that I will get that energy transmuted back to me somehow, some way, exactly. at some time, right? Uh, so I always like to think that it's not necessarily about doing a good deed to to for it to be done back to me from that person, especially like homeless people. If you give to the homeless, you don't expect the homeless to go turn, turn back around and give back to you, but it's just the feeling of the good deed, knowing that the law of reciprocity will return it back to you uh, tenfold sometime later. Um, so I love that. Is it kind of similar for you from your experiences? Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that I had one of the best chats I've ever had with a homeless person two days ago just because Mm. I got them a Diet Coke (laughs) because they wanted a Diet Coke. And we ended up chatting for 10 minutes. And honestly, it was the highlight of my day. It really was. What what made that conversation so impactful or just so uh, delightful for you? It's the fact that I could see struggle in someone's eyes and not say anything. And then they just opened up and wanted to share their story voluntarily about mm-hmm. how they feel they're stuck between a rock and a hard place and how they're fighting their inner demons. And every human being can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Every human being is fighting their demons, including me. And uh, it's, it's, you know, the act of being vulnerable with a total stranger and just sharing stories is not something we do very often, but it's one of the most rewarding acts that I think you can do. Absolutely. And, and I think that, uh, the creation of social media kind of took us away from that because now we're so used to engaging with people on cellular devices and smartphones that we forget how to interact with people face to face. So yeah. even being able to hold on to that skill um, that you mentioned and have that conversation 
uh, with a total stranger and being receptive to what they're sharing to you is uh, is a gift, um, as I'm sure you know. So switching gears just a little bit, Carl, we are now entering, uh, entering our segment that I like to call rapid fire. And uh, this just means that we are slowly coming to an end. And uh, man, it's been a, an amazing conversation so far. But Rapid Fire is brought to you by our guys over at Poddex. So I got five random questions that have nothing to do with value creation or anything <laughs> we talked about for the last uh, 30 minutes or so. Uh, but, you know, best thing I can say is, is just to lighten up the mood, get you to open up, the, um, get, get you to open up a little bit more. So have fun. And most importantly, uh, I guess, be brief, be brilliant. And if you can answer it in one qu- one word or one sentence, that'd be great. All right. All right. Perfect. This uh, first question is, what would be your ideal of the best day ever? Being with everybody I love at the same time. Mm, being with everybody you love at the same time. I love that one. When you think about success, who comes to mind or what comes to mind and why? Inner peace. Mm. Man, Carl, you got some good answers. I would love to hear your elaboration on that one. (laughs) Man, because you could be on top of the world externally and in everybody's eyes, but if you're not happy with what you're doing and who who you think you are and that voice in your head, you're never going to be satisfied. But when you're proud of the individual you are and you're kind to yourself and that voice in your head is one of a friend and not a sergeant, it's a totally different perspective. It's a totally different frequency to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Carl, you're, you're, you're tapped in, man. I, I, I love having the conversation with you because you, the fact that you chose a what over a who, which most people will typically go to a who, but I can understand why you did it because at the end of the day, you don't know if that person is truly happy with themselves, which is why I love the answer of inner peace because that is definite like you are either happy with yourself or or you are not um and so finding that inner peace on a daily basis can be challenging but it's worth the work so i love that answer Uh, number three if you could be guaranteed one thing in life besides money and inner peace because you already (laughs) used that one what, what would it be health health I like mental that. health and emotional health, mental and emotional health. Awesome. Number four is what will people look back at you 50 years from now and be shocked by? Oh, that's a good one. Fingers crossed. How much good I've done. Hmm. Just to look back and be like, man, he did that too. Wow. Yeah. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. All right. Well, here's our, here's our last one for the evening, Carl. This one is what's your favorite thing that you bought yourself this year? Favorite thing that I bought myself this year. That's, that's gotta be the hardest question I've gotten so far. Mm. you're gonna laugh at this one because it's so simple it's a popeye's spicy chicken sandwich i'm totally (laughs) hooked on these things i can't stop having them 
Hey, you, <laughs> there's, you, you got, there's you something got me in right. The, you got something you in sure the, like, I, I can't stop cracking up that that is your favorite thing. The, the Popeye's chicken sandwich. You know, people spicy were waiting in line. Sandwich. Oh, the spicy one. Okay, got to be yeah. the spicy. People were waiting in spicy. line for those. I remember yeah. me and my wife, we were, um, so we don't even eat chicken, but we just wanted to get the um, the fish sandwich because they they kind of made the fish version of the spicy chick- or yeah. the chicken sandwich. Yeah. And I forgot that everybody was still hype about the chicken sandwiches and the line was ridiculous, but yeah. we still waited in line for it. It was pretty good. So yeah, I can understand why you that would be your favorite sandwich right now. Yeah, it makes me <laughs> so happy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Carl, I appreciate you taking part in our rapid fire round. We just got a couple more questions for you as we wrap up today's conversation. It's been a pleasure having you on here, Carl. Thank you. My, um, my next question for you. Uh, and I'm sure, let me just ask, have you seen the movie matrix matrix? Okay. So I want you to sit in the seat of Morpheus and offer our audience who is Neo, a red pill and a blue pill only except you get to create what these pills do. So if you can give us a red pill, blue pill scenario, what would the red pill be and what would the blue pill be? The red pill would be to have everything you think you've ever wanted, but be 50 years older. Mm, Okay. That's the red pill. Okay. What about the blue pill? It's to be where you are today. Would you give away the next 50 years in exchange for everything you've ever wanted? Or would you try to make the best of what you have today? Knowing that you had to give all these things away and that you might have to recreate them yourself. Wow. That's, um, that's like a, money versus time type thing, right? That, that's a great, strong, strong pill. I mean, if, if I were to answer, I would definitely take that blue pill um, because time is way more valuable than money uh, for, for, for me. And um, I was watching this, uh, I was watching another uh, conversation and I forget who was having this conversation, but they were bringing up uh, like Warren Buffett. And he was saying, I guarantee you that this right here will prove that time is more valuable than money right and he asked everybody he's like would you right now trade your net worth with warren buffett's net worth and everybody's like (laughs) oh yeah of course right oh yeah yes 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 and then he said okay now what if that meant you also had to trade ages with him yeah and then everybody was like oh hell no (laughs) hell no i would definitely not so i would definitely take the blue pill which one would you take absolutely the blue pill i mean even do you think Warren Buffett would would choose to hold on to his money? Mm-mm. He would definitely take that deal. He was like, "Oh yeah, give give me your age. Yeah, I would do it all yeah. again." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're on the same boat here. We're on the same page. I, I love that uh, scenario. So what I'm going to do, Carl, is I'm going to pose that question to our millionaires, and if they're listening to us on Spotify, they'll be able to vote. And then for our millionaires that are joining us in our private Facebook group, they'll be able to vote as well. I add that poll. And uh, I'll tag you so that you can see the feedback and engage with people as well uh, on there. Uh, So this last question for you, Carl, is more so uh, some advice, right? You're you're walking down, you know, you're walking past your neighbor that you just smiled at. They might not have smiled back at you, but as you continue walking, you're walking past 
a spitting image, 18 year old version of yourself. What would be some advice you would give 18 year old Carl? That's a really good question. Worrying is not going to do anything. That's one. It really isn't. I mean, you worry about bad stuff and then you end up finding yourself in situations you've never thought were possible. Like Mm -hmm. it's not going to move the needle. It's going to paralyze you. It's going to not do anything. And the second thing I would tell myself is give more than you take. Give more than you take in every interaction. Try to be the bigger person. Mm. Because that will change everything around you. Mm. So the first piece of advice is worry less. And then the second one is give more than you take. Yeah, that's that's by that second one. That, that is definitely the definition of the law of reciprocity right there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's that's great advice. I, I think any 18 year old Carl that gets some advice like that, uh, if they take it seriously, will will find themselves in a totally different position, you know, by the time they're 21, um, yeah. you know, just with taking that that um that information and, and taking it serious. So I appreciate you, Carl, for joining us tonight. This last question is not a question at all. It's more so just a space and opportunity for you. Uh, to tell our listeners a little bit more about where they can find you, what projects you have coming up, some things that you're super excited to share. We talked a lot about, you know, education and the right education. So with that right education, as it, you know, as it um, is uh, related to today's conversation, you have your book. Tell us where we can find your book. Uh, this, I just want to give you the space now to just plug yourself in and tell us a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for giving me that space. Well, the book is going to be on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. It's called The Game of Value Creation. It's out already, I believe. If not, it's going to be out in the next week or two. Mm-hmm. And if every if anybody is interested in in what I do or any of the stuff I spoke about, I would suggest they first get a book or check my website out. It's ky-vc.com. If they like what they see, great. If not, that's also okay. I mean, the stuff we spoke about is not the most exciting stuff for everybody. And I totally mm-hmm. get that. I just want to be able to help those that I could actually help. And if they want to get in touch with me, they can get in touch on the website. And uh, I'm always happy to help. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I loved having you on here, Carl. Value creation is uh, something that we speak about in different bits and pieces on, on the, the podcast, especially just for as our millionaires are transitioning from nine to five to full-time entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. just being able to have that skill of creating value, not only for future shareholders and investors, but for their clients and their customers as well, knowing how to create value uh, at that scale is, is amazing. So got to say again, I appreciate you, Carl, for taking time mm-hmm. out of your evening, you know, to have this conversation with me and our audience. And as always, I'm thankful to have the millionaires who tap in with us week in, week out, and just really tell us a little bit more about what they're excited about. Carl, I got to say, this may not be possible if my millionaires don't tell me, you know, the types of conversations that are really valuable to them. So we talked about value creation. This wouldn't be possible without the audience that tells us what they like to hear from. So thank you. And thank to our millionaires in advance for becoming the change agents that you're bound to become as you apply today's principles. So if you really resonated with today's conversation, like Carl said, go get the book, go check out his website at YC-VC, right? K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-K-Y-
value creation. So VC, KY-VC.com. Yeah. .com. Awesome. Well, go check out the book. Go also check out the website and really plug yourself in on everything that he has going on with the value creation course in the book so that you can learn how to create value on these different scales that we talked about today. Um, Carl, would you happen to um, have any space or room for maybe some type of community code so that we can separate our millionaires and, you know, maybe help them out for the ones that are listening today on maybe if they want to just jump right ahead and get into your course, would you happen to have like some type of uh, community code to share with us for some type of sponsor or discount? Absolutely. If they just go to the website and get in touch with me and tell me that they were on this podcast and they're interested to learn more, absolutely. We can set something up for them. Take care of everybody. Don't worry about that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I I appreciate you, Carl, as well. And um, for, for, for giving some game to our millionaires and just being a part of our community, you're now part of the the millionaire community and the family as well. So I'll make sure that you are in our Facebook groups at so that we can all continue to network and, and connect with each other outside of this episode. So with that being said, guys, I'm your guy, Kai Speaks. You just heard from Carl Yakub on the power and the art of creating value. Just remember to keep focused, build momentum, and drive results so you can live abundantly. Peace. Peace.